Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Welcome to this teaching sponsored by Bible Interact. I am Dr. Ann Davis, and today I would like to talk about the historical background of the book of Isaiah. We all know the book of Isaiah, or certainly parts of it. We all love the book of Isaiah. It's cited numerous times in the New Testament. But did you know that the book of Isaiah, which has 66 chapters, is divided into three historical periods, three very distinct historical periods. And if you don't know the historical background of each section of the book of Isaiah, you'll be jumping to conclusions and drawing, you know, drawing your own conclusions and interpretations. You really need to be anchored in the historical background and also in the geography. And that's what we're going to do today. So I'm going to give you the background so that you can go into the book of Isaiah and really, really enjoy and appreciate it. I explained that there are three parts, three historical periods. The middle part is the one that Christians love and recognize, because the middle part is comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. The middle part is about the suffering servant, which is the Messiah, and the prophecy of the coming Messiah. So the middle part is what we know. Uh, For example, see if you recognize this. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice." This is the part of Isaiah that we that we love and we know. But I'm going to take you now into the first part of Isaiah, which may be a little bit um, unfamiliar to you. I'm going to take you into all three periods historically, but uh, we'll start with this with this first period. So, in the in the beginning of Isaiah. There is a prophet named Isaiah who lives in Jerusalem. By the way, his Hebrew name is Yeshayahu, which is very easy to understand, Yeshayahu. Uh, There are three words put together here to make his name. Yasha, from which we get Yesha, Yeshayahu, Yasha, means to rescue or deliver. And from Yasha, we get the name Yeshua. So... Isaiah's name, Yeshayahu, is related to Yeshua's name, meaning to save or rescue or deliver. Yeshayahu, Yah, is one of the names for God, Yah. It's the beginning of Jehovah, but it's shortened to Yah. Yah means God. Who is a preposition that means he. Now, Hebrew does not use 
prepositions that stand alone, for the most part, they 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 add the concept of the preposition to the end end of the verb. Here, it's standing alone by itself, and when that happens, which is not very often, it's quite dramatic. It's really in there for emphasis. So we have yasha ya hu, and translated that would be God ya he saves because the who is emphasizing the he yeshayahu ya god he who yasha he saves god he saves and that's that's isaiah's name yeshayahu he's living in jerusalem now we've got to have a picture of the political situation of israel and try to do this with a picture in your mind you remember that under David and Solomon, they were able to unite the twelve tribes into one united kingdom. Especially under Solomon, it was a very powerful united kingdom. But after the death of Solomon, it split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom continued to keep the name Israel. Its capital was at Samaria in the north, and it was comprised of ten tribes. Because it was north, it was the northern of the two split countries, it, they're called the ten northern tribes. And they resided in the northern country of Israel with its, its capital at Samaria. The two southern tribes formed a country called Judah, and their capital was at Jerusalem. So this this is the political situation in Israel. Now I want you to get a a picture, a bigger picture. Not just Israel, but a bigger picture of the ancient Near East. In what is today Iraq, there are two rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, a very fertile area, and so in this area emerged one powerful empire after another. You will sometimes hear the word Mesopotamia, which means land between the two rivers, and that refers to this, this powerful area because of the wealth of water. Now, down in the south is Egypt. Egypt is also a very powerful uh, country, be powerful area because of the Nile River. And so they were able to, you know, they used the water for irrigation and it was a very powerful uh, center in the south in Egypt. Now, the Arabian Desert is between the two. So if you want to travel from Mesopotamia, which is Iraq today, you you form a a crescent shape, like the moon. The moon is a crescent shape. You have to go um, to the west a little bit and then turn south and hug along the Mediterranean coast until you can you turn there and at the Sinai Peninsula and come into Egypt. So that connects the two power centers. And it was a trade route, uh, a major trade route going between the two power centers. Guess who was smack in the middle of the trade route? Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah, the two countries of Israel and Judah. And so these 
powerful countries would emerge in these two power centers and would one would want to conquer the other, dominate the other, and they had to go through Israel to do it, and that's what made Israel a, a hot spot. Now, in, uh, by the way, another term you might hear often is fertile crescent. Crescent is that, um, you know, that moon shape, and that refers to the area between Mesopotamia and Egypt, the fertile crescent. Now, in Mesopotamia, in what is Iraq today, the land between the two rivers, uh, one empire after another emerged and would come in and conquer the existing one and establish itself, and then another one would come in and conquer. We are interested in the Assyrians, because the Assyrians came into Mesopotamia, conquered, and became a very powerful empire at the time that Isaiah is writing. The Assyrians were an extremely brutal people. Uh, I mean, the ancient world was a brutal, fierce world, but the Assyrians took all the prizes. We we have, um, they're not paintings so much as they are carvings in, in rock, uh, but but some of them are painted, and it gives us a glimpse of the Assyrian culture. For example, the Assyrians would put rings through the nose of their prisoners and then would put ropes in the rings, and if the prisoner started to fall behind, I mean, you know, they couldn't keep, he couldn't keep up, it would rip out his nose. And we also have pictures of um, spears being put first in fire to get fiery hot and then pierced into eyes to make a, per- a prisoner blind. They were very brutal people. And, um, you know, when they, when they conquered, many were killed. And, the ones, and, of course, anyone that was not of use to them was killed. That would have been, you know, the small children, uh, the women, the older women. You know, the younger women could be used, but um, not the older women. It was, it was, they were just a very brutal people. So at the time that Isaiah is writing, he is in Jerusalem, and the Assyrians are approaching. They have become very powerful in Mesopotamia, and their army is now coming around and on the way to Egypt. They want to come down to conquer Egypt, and they have to pass. Um, Now, to the north of the northern kingdom of Israel is Syria. So they would have to come through Syria first, and then through the northern of Israel, the ten northern tribes. And then once they conquered Syria and Israel, then they would come down and conquer Judah, and then they were free to go on to, to Egypt. This is the setting when Isaiah is writing from Jerusalem. Now, this you get in chapters 1 through 35. Isaiah chapters 1 through 35. Isaiah, Yeshayahu, is writing from Jerusalem and the Assyrians are approaching and it's a very difficult time. The language in chapters 1 through 35 is what we call poetic uh, prophecy. Prophecy simply means to speak for God. Most words of prophecy have nothing to do with the future. They have everything to do with standing firm now. So Isaiah was prophesying for God, speaking for God, saying, stand now. And if you don't stand against the Assyrians, you know, these bad things are going to happen. Uh, Now, the northern kingdom of Israel allied with Syria. To, to try to be powerful. And then they went to Judah and said, you have to join our alliance. And Judah said, no, we have allied with Egypt. 
And, of course, God is saying, don't ally with any of these worldly powers, and it's just going to lead to disaster, which, in fact, it did. It led to disaster. So so we get these uh, uh, words of Isaiah, uh, the language of wrath and judgment. Let me read you just a little bit of it. I'm in um, Isaiah chapter 1, uh, verses 21 to 23, and we read, How the faithful city has become a harlot, she who was full of justice, righteousness once lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your drink diluted with water, your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves, everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards, they do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow's plea come before them. Now we read this language in the Old Testament, and since the New Testament seems so full of grace, we think, you know, there are two different testaments, there's the Old Testament of wrath and judgment, and there's the New Testament of grace. I I would hate to have you draw that conclusion. It's the same God. But in the ancient world, when when, when God was in, just pleading with his people to stand, stand, stand for me, stand for God, stand in righteousness, I will deliver you. This is the language that God uses. And we can read Isaiah with this language referring to us. Because, are you perfect? No. Do you need to hear this language of wrath and judgment? Yes. By the way, this language is spoken with extreme exaggeration to kind of clobber us between the eyeballs. So don't take it all literally. It is extreme exaggeration. How the faithful city has become a harlot. Don't think that everybody in Jerusalem is acting like a harlot. This is this is the the language of prophecy. It's it's extreme exaggeration. So now, so first Isaiah is writing this prophetic, um, uh, artistic language of wrath and judgment in chapters one through thirty-five. The same Isaiah at the same period of time also wrote chapters thirty-six through thirty-nine. Thirty-six through thirty-nine are history chapters. They're not the artistic. Uh, prophetic language, they're history chapters written by the same author, by the same Isaiah, at the same time. This is the story of the Assyrians came and actually conquered Assyria, uh, Samaria. They conquered Samaria. They took the ten northern tribes into captivity. By the way, they did not bring them to one location. The Assyrians would disperse their conquered people because they believed that the god was tied to the land. So if they could remove the people from the land and move them all around the empire where there were many different gods, they would have no access to their god. They would be without any power in connection with any god. So the Assyrians dispersed them all around the Assyrian empire. Um, And... uh, Uh, That's not going to be true of the two southern tribes at a later time. But the two southern tribes were rescued by God from being conquered by the Assyrians. um, And that's the story that you read in Isaiah chapters 36 through 39. Hezekiah was, was the king of Judah at that time. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. You remember that uh, God brought a plague upon the army um, and and that's what delivered the two southern tribes. Be sure and read chapters 36 through 39. If you've read them before, read them again. They're absolutely wonderful. This is the first period of time in the book of Isaiah. And it's the time that the Assyrians were approaching. 
Now what happens is we jump forward 130 years. The Assyrians had been ruling for 130 years. They had left Judah, not completely independent. Judah had not been conquered, but Judah was forced to to pay tribute to the Assyrians to keep them happy. <laughs> but uh, the Assyrians didn't come in and conquer Judah and take them into captivity. They, they allowed them to stay in Judah and simply to pay tribute to them. And that lasted for 130 years. At the end of 130 years, what we get is now get your picture going back up into that Mesopotamia, that the land that is now Iraq, the land between the two rivers. Remember how I said that one powerful empire after another would come in. The Babylonians were emerging as a major power, and they came in and conquered the Assyrians and took over all of Mesopotamia. The Babylonians are now in control. They are expanding. They want to go down to Egypt and conquer the Egyptians. So guess what? They have to go through Judah. And in fact, they were successful in conquering Judah and taking the two southern tribes into captivity. But instead of taking them into captivity and dispersing them all over the Babylonian Empire, they brought them all to the city of Babylon. This is really, really important because... Uh, we, we talk about the ten northern tribes as the ten lost tribes because they were dispersed. They weren't together. They weren't cohesive. But the two southern tribes remain cohesive. They were in Babylon. During this time, we think that the uh, Torah was was um, was uh, collected. The five books of the Torah was collected into one scroll. It had been separate scrolls before that. It was collected into one scroll. Um, and, and they were... They, they st- they stayed together as a people in Babylon. So we have jumped forward 130 years. The Babylonians have come down. They have conquered Judah. They have taken the two southern tribes in Judah into captivity in Babylon. They are in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. So we have 130 plus 70 equals 200 years. It is not until the end of 200 years that what we call 2nd Isaiah begins to write. He is writing right before the Babylonians are conquered by the Persians. The Persians are emerging as as a major power. They're going to come in and conquer the Babylonians. Now, whenever there was a threat of a conquering power in the ancient world, that was really um, terrifying beyond imagination. Because, again, you remember that the conquering power would, would, would kill all the children. They would kill the older women. They would kill the older men. They would take only those who were of value to them and, and use them as slaves. So the pending invasion of the Persians was extremely uh, frightening. This is the, uh, the point when what we call Second Isaiah begins to write. Now, this, uh, on the Second Isaiah... Uh, occupies chapters 40 to 55. And these are words of comfort because the Persians are approaching. They've been in captivity, um, slaves in captivity for 70 years, and it's about to get worse, or so they think. 
It's about to get worse when the Persians come in and, and conquer. So we get these wonderful words of comfort, and we all recognize, Comfort, O oh comfort, my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And um, and then it goes on, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. These are words of comfort. They're still in captivity. Um, and And this is chapters 40 to 55. They're still in captivity. They're at the very end of their cap- captive period. And God is encouraging them, you know, just hold still, hang in there, you know, better times are coming. And that's what we call Second Isaiah. Now, let me just stop for a minute and talk about this first, second, third Isaiah. Uh, because we're going to get to third Isaiah in chapters uh, 56 to 66, and that's a different period of time. The conservative Jews and Christians maintain that there was only one prophet whose name was Isaiah. He lived in Jerusalem at the time the Assyrians were approaching, and he prophesied of what would happen 200 plus years later. However, the language, not only is the time period different, but there are differences in the language. So uh, scholars suggest that there were there were actually three prophets and, and their work was collected at a later time into one book. Now, my, my personal take on this is, is that that suggestion makes sense to me, but to me what's important is the message, not the messenger. The message is what is important. This is really called the canonical approach because at a later time, both Jews and Christians decided what was going to be the canon. What were the holy writings that were going to be included in their Bible? Now, the the Jews, of course, do not include the New Testament. And there was a big discussion about books that they did not include. Um, and, And the Christians, at a later time, had a big discussion what what letters are going to be included and what will not be included in the Christian Bible. And when the final decision was made, it created what's called the Christian canon. So we have a Jewish canon, we have a Christian canon. I take the canon as inspired, and that's the message that I'm, I'm after. And I think what is important is not the messenger, but the message. Although I love to learn about Isaiah, and we can learn a lot about Yeshayahu, um, and, and I think that's, that's helpful to learn about the first Yeshayahu. That's the one that we can really see. All right, let's, um, let's talk about, uh, let me see, I want to talk about the second Isaiah. He's writing at the time that the Persians are approaching after 70 years of slavery, bondage, in Babylon. He is prophesying some wonderful things. These words of comfort include what we call the servant song, and, and it's, it's the Messiah. It's the Messiah coming. And I, I read some of that to you at the beginning. The, the coming Messiah. It's a promise of the coming Messiah, and we have that in 2nd Isaiah. 
Um, we also have some very interesting information about the Persian king who's going to conquer. His name was Cyrus. And what God is saying is that Cyrus, he's going to send Cyrus as a kind of Messiah. Messiah simply means one who rescues, that's all. So, he, and, and in fact, he's going to anoint uh, Cyrus, which, which is amazing. So let's take a look. I want to show you this in uh, chapter 45, and starting in verse 1. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Now, Cyrus is the Persian king. He's the one who's going to come in and conquer the Babylonians. By the way, he's the one who's going to allow the Jews to return to the land of Israel. So let's read about Cyrus. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go through before you, Cyrus, and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. And I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places in order that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. So this is, this is quite dramatic and quite startling that God would choose a pagan king to be the Messiah and the deliverer of his people. And third Isaiah is going to be all about that remnant that returns to Israel. Very exciting part of Isaiah. With this, have fun with Isaiah. <laughs>